Hey, welcome to the Centre Podcast. We're a church based in Dural, Sydney, who love Jesus and want to share the message of hope that he brings for all people. We pray that you're blessed by this word and that it reveals God's love for you in a new way. Enjoy. This letter is from James, a slave of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm writing to the 12 tribes, Jewish Jewish believers scattered abroad. Greetings. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. If you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. But when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver, for a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world, and they are unstable in everything they do. Let's give it up for Alice. Give a round of applause. Thank you so much. So good. Tell you what, it's not easy coming up here. There's a lot of people who find it very intimidating. So I think that's pretty awesome to be able to come up and read that so well. So thank you so much, Alice. I appreciate that. All right. So... The start of James. Um, Really, really excited to get into this letter of the Bible. It's actually um, just as I was kind of doing some reflections on it this week, I um, thought it was pretty cool and something that I hadn't thought about too deeply in the past. The book of James, we're about 95% sure, was written by actually Jesus' half-brother, who after Jesus' resurrection and ascension, he was one of the core leaders of the church in Jerusalem after, you know, the new church was kind of needing to continue on this legacy. Now, I don't know about you guys, but if I started telling people that I was God incarnate, right, and started telling people, look, everyone follow me, my siblings would have some things to say on the contrary about my perfection and godliness. I reckon this is a pretty cool testament to the truth of who Jesus is, that James, his brother, who would have been spending a lot more time with him over his lifetime than even his, th- his 12 disciples, was like, you know what? Yeah, I believe my half-brother, who I grew up with, is the son of God. And I'm going to dedicate my life to sharing that message of truth with the world. That's a pretty cool testament to the truth of Jesus. Anyway, I thought I'd just throw that in there at the start because that kind of, I thought it was cool anyway. Um, but today we're looking at, as Alice read, James 1, 1 to 8. Um, and it's a really fascinating passage. There's a lot in it. Um, but first I want to talk about one of the most terrifying moments of my life. It's probably the first time in my life that I actually thought, for a second I was going to die. What happened was I was about four years old and I went to the beach with my parents. They took us to this really quiet bay that essentially had these two rock walls that kind of protected us from most of the waves that would come through. So it was really quiet, kind of flat as a tack almost. So I was about four years old. I was so keen to get out there. I had my floaties on. My mum had like only just managed to smear sunscreen on my face and I was out there and I was living my best life. 
And it'd been a couple of minutes and suddenly I looked back at the shore and I realized not only my parents, but the shore was a lot further away than I had originally thought it was. And I suddenly realized that I was stuck in a rip. Which is pretty terrifying for a four-year-old, especially when you don't really know exactly what a rip is, but I just knew I was getting sucked out further and further out into, I mean, what I thought was going to be open sea. I want to call today's sermon Stuck in a Rip, because when I was really young, I had no frame of reference of what a rip was. I had no frame of reference of how to react and respond to a rip, and the thing that I did was the one thing they kind of tell you not to do, which is fight it. <laughs> I started just flailing and screaming and thinking that I was going to be like drifted out into the Pacific Ocean raised by Somali pirates. I thought that it was going to be the end of the world. And it can kind of feel that way, can't it, when we're stuck in the midst of a rip, stuck in the midst of trouble. It can feel like it's the end of the world. It can feel like this when we're in trouble. And this is what James is talking about at the start of this passage. He's talking about how we respond when we're in moments of trouble. He writes, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind, so big or small, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Now, I don't remember feeling particularly joyous when I was stuck in this rip, freaking out, struggling for my life. It's a pretty counterintuitive suggestion that James is giving us to consider trouble an opportunity for great joy. So what does this actually mean? What is this opportunity? Why is trouble an opportunity for great joy? So he continues on in verse 3. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. Which kind of makes sense. If I think back about some of the most difficult seasons and moments in my life, Although they were awful at the time, although they were difficult, they were also the moments where I, in hindsight, grew and developed and refined my character the most. So this is what James is saying. When we are in these moments, when we are stuck in a rip, when we're in the midst of trouble, we should consider it an opportunity for great joy because it is an opportunity to develop our character, to develop endurance. Different translations say perseverance, patience, steadfastness, but I really like endurance. Um, and James in 1.4 says, so let it grow, rejoice. It's an opportunity to develop endurance because this is pretty crazy what he says here. He says, when your endurance is fully developed, when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. That's a pretty big call. James is saying, if you can master endurance, if you can perfect endurance, everything else is going to fall into place. Just kind of an interesting idea. So what I'm led to believe is maybe James here is giving us an impossible goal. I think he's saying we are never going to be able to completely perfect our endurance, our perseverance, our patience by ourselves. Because in the next verse, he says something about how we can actually ensure this happens. How do we see an opportunity for great joy in trouble. Well, we need a bit of a perspective and we need wisdom. This is what he's saying. He says, if you need wisdom, ask your generous God and he will give it to you. He won't rebuke you for asking. I think we all know that God doesn't always say yes to prayer. 
But James is here saying, if you ask for wisdom with the right intention, God will always generously deliver. And we've seen right here that wisdom is at the point of what we need to be able to get through these tough seasons. This is sort of the tool that's going to help us craft and work on our endurance and become more steadfast in our faith. Wisdom. So maybe a good challenge for us this week is each day when we're in prayer, doesn't have to be a long-winded prayer, it can be a real short one, just really genuinely asking God for wisdom. I don't know about you guys, but I can think of a few times in my life where I got myself into trouble and in hindsight, maybe a bit of wisdom could have helped me avoid it. Maybe a bit of wisdom could have helped me get out of it more elegantly. Maybe a bit of wisdom could have helped me see it as an opportunity for great joy. So we've got these two ideas that James is saying to us in this first part of the passage. He's saying the experience of our trouble plus wisdom is going to get us through trouble. And I think that that sort of rings true for me because I regret to say that that four-year-old time when I got caught out in a rip was not the last time I got caught in a rip. I got caught in rips so much as a kid. I think my parents were probably considering giving me up for adoption. They were sick of it. Every time we would go to the beach, I would get out in a rip. I'd get stuck in a rip. I was always getting myself into trouble when I went to the beach because I just loved it. I loved getting out into the water. I loved going further than I should have. I loved maybe pushing out a little bit past the flags and I would always get caught in trouble. So my parents, in all of their wisdom, said, we're putting you in nippers because you don't respect the ocean. You do not understand the ocean and you need to get a little bit of wisdom when it comes to how to avoid trouble, right? How to endure trouble and how to navigate trouble. See, when I actually started to learn how to read the ocean, how to read the surf, suddenly that completely changed the way I viewed rips, completely changed the way I interacted with rips, completely changed the way that I got out of rips. Because I learned to identify where the rip was. I learned to identify where that trouble was in advance with that little bit of wisdom. I also learned how to endure it. Because as I said before, the one thing they tell you not to do when you're in a rip is fight it. Suddenly, I learnt how to endure the rip. I learnt that you just kind of tread water and you wait until the rip finally gets you out to a point where you can swim parallel to the shore and come back in. But the other thing that I learnt when I started doing nippers is that it actually isn't always a bad thing being in a rip. I was just talking to Matt Smith about this earlier. A lot of surfers, a lot of lifesavers who understand how to read the ocean, who understand where to see where the rip is, will actually use it to save people. Because what will happen with a lifesaver is they'll be looking at the water and if somebody they see is struggling and putting up their hand and waving for help, the next thing that they will do is look for the biggest rip they can find and dive headfirst into it so they can get out there as quick as possible to help save this person. So suddenly through this wisdom and experience, they are using the rip to their advantage. They are considering suddenly trouble as an opportunity for great joy. Once we master the trouble through wisdom, we're actually then able to help others 
who are caught maybe in their own rips, in their own trouble. Because that's kind of what Jesus did, didn't he? He dived headfirst into the rip that we were caught in, put himself in danger, sacrificed himself. And he got off his board and he dragged us on and he pushed us into shore just as a giant wave crashed over his head. He got us out of the rip that we were in. I love the Psalms talking about Jesus as lifting us out of the slimy pit. In Psalm 42, it says, Jesus lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. Jesus is like the ultimate lifesaver, isn't he? Like, forget Bondi Rescue, forget Baywatch. He's the ultimate lifesaver. He's the one who put his own life on the line to dive into our trouble. And now that's what we're supposed to do. When we see people caught in rips, when we see people struggling, taking on water, their heads going under, we now use that wisdom and experience that we have to do the same, to be Jesus for other people. I might uh, get the band to come back up. And I just want to finish off um, just with getting everyone to close their eyes and bowing their heads. I don't know exactly what situation you're in right now. I don't know what the troubles are that you're in the midst of. But I want you to know that Jesus sees it. He sees the rip that you're currently caught in the midst of. He sees you struggling. He sees your head going underwater. And all we need to do is put up our hand and say, Jesus, save me. He's on the balls of his feet on the shore with his board ready to come out. If you feel like you're caught in a rip today, in this season of your life, that you can't get out of, that you can't see an end for. I want you to know that Jesus has a solution for you. He died on a cross for you so that you can live life in absolute abundance and fullness. With every eye closed and every head bowed, if that might be something that you're needing today, whether it's the first time or the millionth time, I want you to just raise a hand in the air now. It's not for anyone else. It's just between you and God. I want you to put that hand up and just in your heart, just say, Jesus, please save me. I just want you to put that hand up and ask Jesus to come in to the middle of your rip. God, we thank you that you are the ultimate lifesaver. We thank you that we are, when we're in the midst of trouble, that your godly wisdom will help us. God, we thank you for the moments and seasons in our life when we've been able to grow. We've been able to foster our endurance, our patience, our steadfastness. God, allow those lessons to resonate, to not just be moments that we walk past and forget about, but that they can be rocks 
that we can look back on and remember your goodness, your faithfulness, your steadfastness. God, we just pray that when we're in the midst of our troubles, when we're in the midst of our rips, that we will always come back to you as you promised to always come back to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us. Don't forget to rate and subscribe to help others discover this channel. Check out the description if you want to find out more or get in touch with us at the Centre Dural. But in the meantime, praying for God's hand over you as you continue to step into everything Jesus has in store for your life. Be blessed.